This is What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. On this episode, I'm happy to have Kaysen Callender back on the podcast. They were my guests for episode 100, so that will always stand out for me. Uh, We also got to meet uh, in New York uh, this past summer, talked about coming on the podcast again, set it up, and it's a great conversation. Uh, They had a big year, so we talk about all of that and the projects and things that Kaysen has coming up. So listen in. I keep a notebook of all of the interviews. So I went back and looked at the first time you were here. And today's the October the 7th. We talked last year on October the 9th. So we're, so we're off by two oh, days wow. from our previous conversation. And so, I can't believe it's already been a full year. <laughs> I know. It's been crazy. And so yeah. when you kind of, kind of using this as our jumping point, when you kind of think back to this past year, you know, what really, what, what things stand out to you just with everything thinking about, you know, you had the two books come out and, and the praise and the recognition that they received and everything else that is, that has happened to you uh, in publishing when you kind of have had time to reflect on it, what really stands out to you? It's totally mind boggling because um, I've been thinking recently about just how much I've um, been able to accomplish in the past year and thinking about everything I still want to do um, just kind of makes me so hopeful for whatever I'll be able to do in the next, even just one year, but even just thinking like 10 years, God willing, God willing, I mean, Um, because I've I've done so much and I can't like, I don't really look back on it and I don't um, take time to reflect like that, that much. I'm happy you're asking me to do that now, but I've, you know, I was able to win an award two awards for Hurricane Child for the Stonewall and for Lambda and just the amount of love that um, Hurricane Child has been getting and the amount of love that Epic Love Story has been getting. Um, Just all these really great emails and letters from different people telling me what the books have meant to them. It's just, um, it's really incredible. And so when you kind of think back to last October or even farther back, like when you were sort of maybe this baby writer, we'll call you, like what what do you think you weren't giving yourself enough credit for back then? Um, you know, just going easy on myself. I feel like back then I just had so much pressure on myself to, you know, get like the start reviews and to um really be perfect on panels and to give these amazing speeches and to and you know, I've been really lucky to be able to do school visits and to meet um a lot of people in person, but it's also just, you know, like what I was saying before, it's only been a year. I, I still consider myself a baby writer. And I, mm-hmm. every now and then I've tried to remi- remind myself of that. Like I still have so much more to learn and so much more to accomplish even um, as a person, but also as a writer, it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay for the writing to not be um, what the entire world would consider perfect. It's okay to, get those like one star reviews on Goodreads that you're not really supposed to be on Goodreads, you know? So I think that um, ultimately it's just kind of like learning to relax and enjoy the process a little bit more. And you mentioned about Hurricane Child and uh, the awards at that one. That was, you know, your debut. So to have your debut uh, get that love and get that attention and recognition, um, 
must be very exciting, but I'm wondering, was it also, I don't want to use the word scary, maybe uh, daunting that, mm-hmm. you know, right out of the gate, uh, all of this is happening for that first book? Um, I think it was, uh, I think it might have put some pressure to make sure that the other books continue to be at the level that some people were able to see it as. But um, I also found like a lot of solace in the quote, and I'm not going to get it perfectly, and I can't even remember who it's by. So, um, But basically, the quote was something along the lines of uh, the wars and the shiny things uh, kind of fade, and it's really just the work and the passion that mm-hmm. people feel when they're reading it that really sticks with them. So even before um, I got those two awards, I remember thinking to myself, that's something I just want to remember forever. And then I got the awards, and I still want to remember that. You know, like, you know, I'm so grateful for those awards because they really are able to put a spotlight on Hurricane Child and on um, issues I think are very important, like queer people of color not necessarily getting that visibility. And it gives me a chance to get those books into the hands of more young readers. So that's where I really see... um, the importance and values in those awards. But in terms of like, I am an award winning author, you know, I don't necessarily, I feel like that's going to fade. And I think it's more important to really focus on making sure I write books that I'm proud of. And I know um, children need. Sure. And so we, we got to meet each other face to face. It was in New York. It was uh, for a pride event. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I, I think this year more than others, like I remember walking around New York to the different storefronts and every store seemed to have their pride display and just mm-hmm. how kind of mainstream the whole thing has sort of become. And, and, and you could see that as, as being so, so great and so wonderful. And you can also see it kind of being uh, co-opted a little bit as a marketing ploy, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. there is, there are there are great leaps and bounds uh, being taken, and and as uh, a queer writer of color, how do you kind of writing in this space take that all in when you when you are writing to an audience that is being spoken to much more than maybe you were spoken to to at that age? It's so incredibly exciting, and it's so you know as an adult, as a thirty year old, I just turned thirty. Um, I guess that was another big thing that happened since October. <laughs> um, as someone who just turned 30, I, I almost feel like an envy for teens today because they see, they save themselves so much more and they have so much more visibility and there's so much more room to figure out who they are, who they truly are, rather than what society um, thinks that they should be. Um, and I think that I get a lot of those feelings. I almost feel like I get to relive the teen years that I didn't necessarily get to live before through my writing and through trying to talk to teens and letting them know that this is amazing. You're all living in such an amazing time to be young queer people. Um, my next book, my next YA is Felix Ever After, and that's coming out in May 2020. And that definitely was a great space to be able to um, to write about that. And it's set in summer. It's set in New York um, during Pride. And I really delve into those feelings of just being so proud of your identity, um, especially as it's written from a young queer trans person of color. Um, and then my next middle grade is uh, King and the Dragonflies. And I think that that kind of takes a little bit more of a different approach where, yeah, things have changed so much and it's so exciting, but there are still some issues that I think a lot of teenagers are still grappling with. There's still, even though um, media is, is so much more accepting of us, there are still um, 
quite a, you know, there's still homophobia, there's still, still transphobia, there's still the government sure. that we're still um, mm. struggling with. And I, in King of the Dragonflies, I take the route of kind of discussing um, homophobia that younger readers still struggle with and uh, kind of the intersections of identity as the main character struggles with the idea that he might be gay, but he's also black. And what does that mean to have to deal with both racism and homophobia in um, a world that isn't always perfect? Mm. So you mentioned uh, two of your books that you have upcoming, but that's not even really the the book that you're here to promote because you have another one even before that coming on mm-hmm. November 12th, and it's called Queen of the Conquered. So let's talk about that for a while. And so let's start off. Tell me what this book is about. So Queen of the Conquered um, is technically an adult book being published by Orbit, but it does have some YA crossover. So uh, I'd never like to censor young readers because I was reading Anne Rice when I was 12. So <laughs> I'm not necessarily in a position to say what a young reader can and can't read. But I would probably say more like 17 to 18 year olds could um, comfortably read that, generally speaking. It's about Sigourney Rose, who is from um, a Caribbean inspired world and whose people have been enslaved. And her family has been murdered by a group of oppressors called the Conga League or the Fjern. Um, and she has a plot to get onto the royal island for what is ca- called the storm season to um, take back the throne because the king is about to give up his power to any one of the chosen um, fearn for the storm season. So she wants to go back and she wants to take the throne back from the people. But meanwhile, there's someone on the island that's killing all of the um, people on the island one by one. So she has to figure out who it is before they kill her first. So that's a lot, but basically um, the unofficial description is Agatha Christie meets like kind of scary, spooky Anastasia in a world of slavery in the Caribbean. Hmm. And so with where, some Shakespearean vibes. <laughs> so where was that initial idea that you kind of came upon that, that got you writing this? Um, I think it was a lot of different ideas that I had written down and it kind of all emerged into this one idea. I think the first spark was many years ago when I first learned that there had been black people that had owned slaves. And I remember just being blown over by that and just wondering what is the mindset of a person who could do that to their own people, knowing how they suffer. Um, and it's, it's that, I, that, you know, I learned about that like in high school and that just stuck with me all these years. And I think as I was writing Sigourney Rose, I was trying to get into the mindset because Sigourney herself, even though she um, is being oppressed, she's also the oppressor in that her family, her um, lineage um, is the one, is the only one of Islanders who are also given the opportunity to be a part of like the royalty, like the nobles Mm -hmm. of these islands, along with like the kind of like white fern and the white oppressors. So she herself and her family herself also owned slaves. And I was just trying to get into the mindset of someone that would do that. And um, she's an extremely morally great character for that reason. And I kind of came to the conclusion as I was writing that um, all people are morally great. And I would hope that I would never be like Sigourney Rose and own slaves. Um, But at the same time, we are also all kind of stuck in our privilege and unable to see the way that we are privileged and unable to see the ways that our privilege kind of um, takes advantage of other people. So here I am, I'm in the the comfort of my home, I'm privileged, I'm using a phone that has been, you know, people, groups of people have been taken advantage of for the 
purpose of me having this phone. You know, I have my comforter, I have my water, I have my food. Like, these are all different privileges that are, um, in a sense, I feel like almost make me morally great also. So I kind of tried to uh, stick in that mindset as, as, as I was writing her. And you did this uh, a little bit with Hurricane Child where you were able to set it uh, in uh, the Caribbean. Uh, and, you know, but this one being a fantasy story uh, and you being from uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands, did you were you excited to be able to set a fantasy story uh, a little bit in the area in which you grew up in? I was. And I really wanted it to be set in the U.S. Virgin Islands because I felt like um the Virgin Islands are also a good symbol of Sigourney's character where she is kind of stuck in between two sure. worlds. She's this person mm-hmm. who is both mm-hmm. oppressed and the oppressor. And the Virgin Islands are pretty similar. We are a territory. We don't have the same rights as American citizens. So we are oppressed. But at the same time, we also have privileges because we are not other Caribbean nations that have been um, bowled over by sure. Uh, colonizers. So even though America is a colonizer, we still have certain luxuries that other islands don't necessarily have. And because of that, a lot of Caribbean islands don't even consider us a part of the Caribbean, hmm. which isn't fair, I don't think, but um, there you go. So I, that's the reason I chose the Virgin Islands, because I felt like it was the perfect uh, kind of in-between setting for the story I was trying to tell. So did you set out to write an adult novel, or did in composing the story and get working through the characters in the setting, find that you, for the story you wanted to tell, it should be an adult's novel. I actually did not. I initially wrote this as a YA. Um, and I'm so grateful that my agent, as she was reading it, suggested that it might be an adult because I haven't thought about writing an adult book in like 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. So that really opened the gates to a whole other stream of, um, ideas that I have percolating now. I want to write all these adult books too. Um, but initially I had it as YA. And I think the reason, I think she was right to suggest that it might be adult because, you know, besides the fact that there was certain content that I think made it more adult, there were also just a lot of, um, the story was a, focused a little bit more on kind of like narrative because Sigourney one thing I should have mentioned is that the um, book also has a lot of magic. So Sigourney and a lot of the Tonga League have something called craft where they're able to uh, have like these psychic abilities. So some people can see the future. Some people can um, see other people's dreams. And Sigourney's power is able to kind of like read other people's minds and kind of control their bodies at times. So she, because of that, she spends a lot of time in the minds of the oppressors around her. And she's able to kind of dissect and analyze their racism as they see her as lesser than because she's an Islander. So because of that, I spend a lot of time kind of like in narration. And that isn't to say that a YA can't um, be kind of focused on narrative and internal thought and monologue. I, I think there's plenty that does that really well. But um, I think a lot of focus on YA right now is a lot more plot driven and a lot more um, what's the catalyst, what's the goal, what's the motivation and, you know, speed to the, um, to the end, which I also love, but that just isn't what uh, you know the concert is. You you kind of fell into this being an adult uh, story, but you know you have a YA and a middle grade. You're going to have another YA in middle grade. When you do, you know at the start, especially with those, which one you were writing for, which audience you're writing for, or do you have to sort of learn about that character and the situation you want to explore? 
until you kind of first before you kind of find all right who is the audience what type of story do I want to tell I think for middle grade and YA it's been a lot more clean cut for me and I've known from the beginning um, who the characters are what their age range is who, who what the audience is um, and I think voice has a lot to do with that um, for both King and the Dragonflies and uh, Hurricane Child the voice is a lot softer and a lot um kind of more lyrical, I'd say, whereas the YAs are much more kind of like, you know, fun and um, voices that, you know, you could find like in memes and TikTok videos and just kind of like that uh, Gen Z um, humor to it. Um, So I think because of that, I have a better sense from the get-go of what the middle grade in YA is. What I'm finding now is I'm having a little bit of a harder time uh, figuring out what my YA versus what my adult books will be. Mm. Uh, Even though the adult um, voice tends to be a little bit more lyrical, it's the characters tend to kind of, from both sides, tend to become easily either YA or adult uh, Mm. because my adult characters have tended to be like 19 or 20. So that's something I'm still kind of working on figuring out. Uh, You mentioned earlier about getting to interact and and talk to readers uh what has sort of been uh your biggest takeaway because as a writer you're sort of isolated when you're composing these stories you might have a few people uh, that you bounce it off of but then it gets released it gets open up to the world and you have Mm -hmm. uh readers that have spent time with it and are reacting to you so what kind of things maybe have you heard or what has your sort of been a reaction to their reactions I think, um, you're, yeah, the biggest almost issue with having been a writer was that I was so isolated and I was in my, I would say, like, protected bubble and space where I was writing books where I knew, like, for Hurricane Child, for example, I knew that there was still racism and homophobia and I was writing from my perspective, having grown up in an island where I struggled with this quite a lot. Um, but I still kind of, I felt like things had gotten so much better for younger readers that um, I think my books were starting to reflect that also, where it's like, yeah, things have changed. So much has changed in the last umpteen years, like 20, 10 years. Um, but things haven't changed that much yet. <laughs> you know, I think that's the biggest thing I learned is going into classrooms and actually hearing from readers and hearing from teens and students. Um, things just haven't changed as much as I've, I assume. And I think a lot of people in, um, like, bubble spaces assume and I say bubble spaces I mean like New York City or where I am now Philadelphia I think that um, we ha- we are able to find our communities and we're able to kind of stay in our safe space um, without realizing that even inside of like I did a lot of classroom visits in New York and even in New York I was hearing from students who were saying my I, I'm afraid to let my parents know that I'm gay because I'm afraid they're going to kick me out and I think as an adult it's easy to forget that that can happen still um, so that's been my biggest takeaway is that even though, you know, there have been so many changes in the last so many years, um, we're, there's still so far to go. And this, we can't necessarily say that uh, everything is perfect and only right for um, students with that assumption. We, there still needs to be like a, a, as we're writing, we still need to remember that there are still students who are still struggling. Sure. Um, when you were... Uh, I don't know if it was the last time you on, you were on or when I saw you in June, you were talking about, so you said something to the effect of, you know, part of the reasons you wrote this is kind of epic love stories to kind of explore the ideas for yourself maybe is 
love still possible? Does this sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Or am I making all this up? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I wrote Epic Love Story was because I've never really seen media that has queer people of color falling in love and it's not about their tragedy and it's not about um, their pain and struggle. Uh, and also, I just don't really necessarily see enough media of queer people of color falling in love, period. <laughs> you know, um, When I think about uh, the books and TV shows that I have access to, it all kind of follows the thread of our pain and our struggle, which is also really valid. And I think those stories are absolutely needed. I just spoke about the need for those stories um, also. But I think that also is a danger in kind of like brainwashing ourselves into thinking that this is our only story. So I wanted to write Epic Love Story to um, show a different side where our identity as a queer person of color actually can bring us joy because it connects us. So um, for myself, I didn't necessarily think that... um, you know, like true love or like uh, happy, like romantic endings for were possible because I've never really seen that for myself in shows. So writing epic love story was kind of like a cathartic um, moment for me where I just kind of like imagine that possibility, you know. I do. And what had me thinking about that is over this past summer, uh, I listened to the audio book of the book. And so I, you know, I was kind of reflecting on having you have said that and, and kind of putting up against the story. And so is there, as you look at the things that you write, you know, I've heard other authors say that, that there is sometimes something that they are trying to figure out as the writer uh, when they go about writing a book, whether they're conscious of it or not, uh, mm-hmm. exploring something in themselves and maybe they know that going into it, or maybe they find it after that process is done. Do you find any type of similar things happen when you're writing your stories? Absolutely. And sometimes I don't even know that it that I'm doing it until the end, and I realize that the conflict that the main character was struggling with is something that I've been struggling with for months or years, and I wrote their answer out, and that could be the answer for me also. Sure. Um, so it's funny that that happens. Um, the closest, the, the uh, most recent example, I think, would be in Felix Ever After, the uh, YA about the trans main character, where um, I almost feel like it's an epic love story 2.0, where I was talking mm-hmm. about the possibility of um, love, and I feel like Felix sees that's a possibility for queer people of color, but doesn't necessarily think that it's for him um, or you know, if you want, you know, it's it, it's hard to describe because I don't want to give any spoilers, and it's also just so far in the future. But basically, he comes to realize that um, self love is most important first and foremost. So even if that true love is possible, and you know, he can find happiness through um, love with someone else, he still needs to find happiness and pride and self love first. Um, so that was my lesson. Also, <laughs> while I was writing that, I realized that that's something that I've always struggled with. If I have my my timeline right, uh, Hurricane Child came out March of 18. Uh, mm-hmm. As you mentioned, uh, Felix Ever After comes out May of 2020. So in a little over two years, you have had released five books. And I know publishing is the way timing works with publishing. It's a little bit weird, but uh, things were probably a lot longer than that. But to have five books out in two years and you're in the middle of it, uh, smack dab with number three, has it 
been a whirlwind? Do you feel like you're just always busy, always writing, always promoting? And and do you enjoy that, or are do you are you finding there are times when uh, you just need a breather, you just need to take a break? I think that um, I'm I'm definitely a classic introvert, so I think the hardest part for me will always be the kind of like promotion in person, and I'm learning to get out of my shell a little bit more and learning how to um, interact with people a lot more, which is great, but I definitely still need a breather um, after doing kind of like promotions and being on panels and um, festivals and events and everything. Uh, though I still really want to do those because I do, those are one of the, like the few opportunities to be able to meet with students. So um, I'm always happy to do them. But I actually real I was thinking about this recently. I feel like um, I'm a huge gamer. I love video games and I'll play a game for like days on end without stopping. And I realized recently that writing feels the same because I'll write, for days on end without stopping. And I recently posted something on Twitter that was like, I just wrote for 13 hours nonstop without even meaning to focus on the fact that I'd written for 13 hours nonstop. I think I was thinking, I was talking about like word count or something. Mm -hmm. And I thought someone else posed, I don't think it was necessarily a subtweet, but it could have been a, (laughs) it could have been a subtweet where someone posted um, soon after, you know, it's okay for self care to not write for so long. It's okay to take breaks. And I realized, you know, you know, yeah, that's true. But for me, this is self-care. Like I, I write almost like it's a video game. Like I write and I feel like reinvigorated and I feel like I've been having like the time of my life after having written for so many hours. So now I'm not tired of writing yet. And that's probably why, um, that's probably why I've been able to write so many books in, in the two years. That's great. And is there any, because you've done middle grade, you've done YA, you're, you're doing adult is, uh, is there a category or a genre that you kind of, in the back of your mind, even if you don't necessarily have an idea of what would fit in there, a genre or a category somewhere down the line that you might want to explore and take a stab at? Absolutely. And I'm sure my agent is so tired of me right now <laughs> <laughs> because I'm in so many different schools. But I still, I you know, I've been wanting to write a YA fantasy for so long and for whatever reason that has been um, my my greatest struggle. And I think it is because, as I was talking about earlier with Queen of the Conquered, um, Queen of the Conquered ended up being so much more like narrative and so much more kind of like inner monologue. And why fantasy is really hard. It's, you know, you have to get the plot together. You have to get the characters. You have to make sure everyone really cares about the characters, but you also have to have that explosive plot from the get-go. The setting has to be perfect. You know, it really is um, just a lot of elements that I you know, it's really difficult to, to juggle, I think. So, um, but I will get there eventually. I, I have an idea that I'm working on. And then I kind of want to try maybe an adult contemporary eventually too. Mm-hmm. Great. So a few things as we wind down. The first one I'll ask you, you said you were a gamer. So what is like maybe one or a few of your favorite video games? I've been playing Fire Emblem Three Houses nonstop. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And then, so in our last conversation, uh, you talked about how, you know, you were really into fan fiction. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you had the time, what type and could write, take time off and write fan fiction right now, what other uh, world characters, uh, what would you maybe want to write about? Um, 
Maybe about almost like 10 years ago now, I started a fanfic that was um, in the Harry Potter world, and it was Scorpius and Albus. And it was Scorpius ended up in Gryffindor, and Albus ended up in Slytherin. And it was about how their families really hated each other, but they were still best friends, and they might eventually like fall in love. And I started it, and I wrote the first chapter, and I never finished it. And to this day, I still think about that fanfic and really want to go back and write it. So that's, that's, right. that's what I would do. Awesome. And then finally, what is the last great book that you've read? Um, I'm in the middle of reading Wicked Fox right now by Cat okay. Cho. And I'm really, really, really loving that. Um, I think that Cat does an amazing job of character. And I think that um, that's one thing that I would like to work on a little bit more is just taking like a breather and just sitting with the characters and really getting to know them instead of feeling like the plot has to be... Um, constantly moving forward i feel like i was taught that the plot and every single page has to move forward Mm -hmm. and she did you know it's like it's not like it's slow or anything like i'm really invested so i really am reading the scenes and just loving the characters with um every line of dialogue so that was just a moment of me kind of like taking a step back and realizing that she did that extremely well and i'd like to work on that too great well casein queen of the conquered comes out on november 12th but then we have King of the Dragonflies on February 4th and Felix Ever After in May. Very excited about those. Uh, wish you best, best of luck with this book and the others, and we can't wait to see what else you have for us. Thank you so much. And that does it for this episode. Uh, it was great talking to Kaysen again. If you want to check any of their books, either that are already released or upcoming, check out the show notes. Uh, Also, I have that link there to our previous conversation. Hope you also, if you enjoyed this one, check out some of the other conversations I've had uh, with some great YA people. Reminder that Queen of the Conquered, uh, Case and Calendar's newest book, comes out on November the 12th. I'm Brock Shelley, and until next time, keep reading.